Parashas Bahar. The beginning of the parasha deals with Shemitah, some of the laws of Shemitah and Yovel, including, including the, in the, included in the discussion is the halacha that land returns at Yovel. If you sell land, then it returns, it reverts to the original owner at Yovel. And because of that, the Torah explains that when you sell property, you're essentially leasing it for a period of years, for a fixed, fixed term from whenever the sale is until the next Yovel. So the Torah warns you that you should be careful to price the land accordingly. That, unlike a regular sale, it's just yours permanently, so you pay whatever it's worth. When you sell land, when Yovel's nohek, the value of the sale, the value of the land for the term of now until Yovel is going to depend on how many years it is until Yovel. So the Torah tells you, when you sell something to your friend, do not, do not commit ono. Ono is a hard word to translate. Translated as aggrieve, to injure, to exploit. Do not behave unfairly. Do not aggrieve your, your brother. Meaning what? Based on how many years have passed since Yovel, how many years until the next Yovel, that's how the field should be priced. He should sell it to you based on how many years of tour you're going to have before the field reverts to its original owner. If there are many years left until Yovel, then the price should be higher. And if there are only a few years left, the price should be lower. Again, the Torah reiterates, He's really selling you a number of years of Tvus, so price the field according to how many years of Tvus you're going to receive until Yovel. Then the Torah concludes by reiterating, Do not aggrieve, do not exploit your friend. You should fear God. So the way I just read the Psukim, that is the simple reading of the Psukim. We're discussing buying and selling real estate, and the Torah warns you to price the land accordingly, taking into account how many years are left until Yovel. The Torah writes, The Torah begins the discussion by saying, Do not aggrieve, and it concludes by saying, Do not aggrieve. Chazal understand that there are actually two prohibitions here. Mishnah, the Gemara, explains these are two distinct prohibitions. And as we'll see, the, the Moneh HaMitzvahs, those who count the 613 mitzvahs, who enumerate them, count these as two separate mitzvahs. Even though the wording is almost identical, these are counted based on the Midrash, and the, in the Sifra, and in the, in the Bavli. These are counted, actually, as two separate prohibitions. Mishnah Bav Metziah says, <coughs> First of all, as the Pasuk says, When you sell, or when you buy, Al-tonu, do not commit ona. So the pasuk is clear that ona is prohibited both to the seller and to the buyer. <coughs> the, in general, we'll discuss this in more detail soon, in general, ona is defined by overcharging or underpaying relative to the market price. So if the seller overcharges, charges more than the market price, he's committing ona against the buyer. If the buyer underpays, it's a, it's a symmetric halacha, if the buyer underpays, then he is committing ona against the seller. That's the first pasuk of Al Tonu Achiv. Another Mishnah says, another Mishnah says, right, the, 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 the Gemara brings a bride on this Mishnah, the source for the two types for the ona in both directions. When you sell Al Tonu, that's the seller shouldn't uh, injure the buyer. The the other way around, if the buyer injures the seller by underpaying, Talmud Lomar, Okano Al Tonu. So, chisimkru, oh no, 
that the seller commits. Okano, seller, no, that the buyer commits. There's another famous drasha from this Pasuk brought on the Taras Ganim that, that reads the Pasuk a little differently, not exactly Pasha Pshat, but it reads the Pasuk, Simkru Mimkar, if you sell something, La Misecha. You should sell it, you should choose to sell it to, uh, to your friend, to your fellow Jew. Okano, or if you buy something, Miyada Misecha. You should prefer to buy it from a seller who is Jewish, from a seller who is your friend. The, the, the Taras Ganim says it's a mitzvah to prefer Jews when buying and selling. This is not brought in Shulchan Aruch, it's not brought in the Bavli, and it's not brought in Shulchan Aruch, but there is a, a vigorous, a, a robust discussion in the Akronim. Most posts can assume it is la halacha, they, 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 they discuss the parameters, what if it costs more, what if they don't have as much parking, what if the clerks are rude in the Jewish store, any of these, circ- any of these considerations. Posts can discuss what exactly the parameters of this mitzvah is. Are, we're not going to get into that today. We're going to focus on ona which again means overcharging and underpaying. That's how the Gemara understands the first passage, when you sell, don't overcharge, when you purchase, don't commit on by underpaying. But then there's another Mishnah. The Mishnah says, the Mishnah says that Kishem just as there is ona in Purchase transactions and buying and selling, kachona bedvarim ona applies to verbal interactions as well. Don't aggrieve, don't hurt somebody by saying hurtful and uh, unpleasant things. The mission gives a number of examples. Don't ask him the price of something if you have no intention of buying it because you're getting his hopes up for no reason. You're allowed to ask the price and then decide you don't want to buy it. If you have the, I think the post can say that if you're asking in good faith and you're considering buying it, you're not committed just because you asked the price. But if you know you're not going to buy it, you're just, uh, you're just playing with him, you're, you're just going to uh, cause him to, to get excited, and then uh, for no reason, for, for no legitimate reason, that's nichlal and onas dvar. Imhaya balchuva. The person is a balchuva. His previous conduct was unfortunate. La yomerlo zichar masechar rishon. Do not say, remember how you used to behave before you became a Baal Tshuva. If he is a convert, he used to be not Jewish. Remember what your ancestors did. If he's a Ger, it could have been his own, his own, his own actions too before he became a Ger. But okay, that's how it goes. Baal Tshuva, we say, Ger, we say, remember your ancestry. You don't come from such an exalted, uh, exalted lineage. Shanemar, Ger lo sonev, lo That don't oppress the Ger. That's also, that, that's another prohibition of Onah, another, another admonition about not committing Onah. The mission understands, don't commit Onah by reminding him of his antecedents. The Bryce explains, how do we know there's Onah both in Mecca Chumemkar and in Dvarim? There's, there's business, business Onah and Onah in verbal Onah as well. So the Mara brings the Bryce up. The reason, the obvious reason is because there's two Psukim. Lotan wishes Amiso. That is the first pasuk. I'm sorry, that's the second pasuk. After the Torah discusses the the shnei tvuos, it says That refers to anas dvarim. How do we know the context of the whole pasuk? It's talking about buying and selling field. Shanim tvua yovel. That's all about buying and selling. So why should we why should why should we say this pasuk is referring to anas dvarim? The obvious reason. Kishu Omer, the, the earlier pasuk said. We already talked about our Nas Maman. Once is enough. How do we have, what's the second Pasuk? 
Anastvarim, even though the, the general context is Maman, but that part refers to Anastvarim. In general, throughout Chazal, throughout the literature of Chazal, sometimes we say Lavrel Bishne Lavin. I just learned, uh, we're learning the halakhs of bugs in the morning. We just learned about the famous Gemara. If you eat one kind of bug, you get four malchus. One kind of bug, you get five malchus. The Torah keeps saying, don't eat it, don't eat it, don't eat it, don't eat it. So multiple laven, multiple, uh, multiple malchus at least. But we often say that that's only if we have no choice. If, we, if there's a way to interpret a pasuk that's not just repeating a lav, it's telling you something new, we often choose to do that. And that's what the Gemara does here. We say that we have two psukim. Instead of simply saying, Lavra Labashne Lavin, we say the first Pasuk is or not Maman, and the second Pasuk is or not Dvar. That's what the Brysa says. And the Brysa goes on, it gives some of the same examples that uh, ways you can hurt people. If he's a Gar, you should, and he wants to learn Torah, you shouldn't say, You're the mouth that ate Nevelus and Trefush, Gutten or Muslim, now you want to learn Torah. So you shouldn't talk, you shouldn't talk like that. Um, it says if a person is suffering, a person has Yisurim, or suffering from illness, or, he's, or his children are dying. You shouldn't tell him what Eov's friends told him. Eov complained, this is not fair, why is this happening to me? They told him, nobody righteous suffers, it must be that you did something wrong. That's not the way you talk to someone who's suffering. Maybe it's true theologically, maybe it's not. You don't talk like that to someone who is, uh, they told Eov, they said, Halo yiraschah kislasecha, tikvascha v'tom drachecha, zikharna mihu naki avad, the, if a person is a tzaddik, he has confidence in that. Uh, who, who was ever innocent that, uh, that, that, that was punished, uh, that you deserve it? That's not the way you talk to someone who's suffering. That's, that's, on, that's on now, apparently. He gives other examples. The Gemara actually goes on, and it says that, that Onas Dvarim is actually, is actually, in a certain sense, more, more, se- more severe, more of a problem than Onas Maman. Because the Pasuk ends, the second Pasuk that says, the second pasuk, the Sarnu Shisam Iso, that's the Onas Dvarim. Pasuk, we raise him Elokecha. You should have Yerashamayim. That's telling you how serious it is, how severe it is. So, and the first one doesn't say, we raise him Elokecha. Rabbi Elazar says, Zeba Gufo, Zeba Mamono, hurting the person, hurting his feelings is worse than just uh, damaging his property. For a lot of us, it would depend how, how, how severe the insult is and how much money is involved. I might not want to be publicly humiliated in front of a thousand people. I'd rather pay ten bucks to do that. But if it was uh, five hundred thousand dollars, and just uh, I'll feel bad for a couple of minutes when you say something hurtful in front of a friend, maybe not. I don't know. But anyway, that's what the Gemara says. A nice moment is worse. Rav Shmuel Bar says, shavon, that one of them can be returned. You make restitution. One of them can't. Okay. So this is what the Mishnah says. The Brisa says there are two types of ona. The two psukim refer to two types of ona. A nice moment. A nice dvar. As we mentioned, the Moneh mitzvahs count them as two separate mitzvahs. Rambam, mitzvahs losa say 250 and 251. The first one is Mehonos Ksosena with Ksosena Bishara Mechakumemkar, to injure each other in business. Second one, Hisiranu Mehonos Ksosena with Ksosena Bidvarim, Verbalona, that is the second one, brings the Taraskanim, brings the various examples, and so on. The. The, the actual halachas, what is the definition of onah? The, much of the, the Gemara in Bavansiyah discusses extensively the rules of onah of Mawan. So onah is sometimes misunderstood. Onah sits somewhere in between a notion of fraud and a notion of unfair pricing. On the one hand, halacha doesn't have, halacha doesn't have a, a, any kind of intrinsic notion of a fair price. An item doesn't have uh, any kind of objectively fair price. The, the, the price of an item is the price determined by market forces. 
the, you can't look to, uh, you can't ask Das Torah what the price of something is. You have to look at what the market says it's worth. The klal is bo'no, ein l'chal mekoma b'shaito. Ona is, the, we'll, we'll discuss this in much more detail soon, but ona, generally speaking, is defined relative to a market price. If the market has determined that the price of a widget is $10, so if you sell it for $13, the seller is being over ona. If the buyer pays uh, $7, the buyer is being over ona. So on the one hand, it's, it, 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 on the one hand it, it's, not, it's not based on some notion of unfairness, it's based on relative to the market price. On the other hand, there is a certain a- aspect of fraud to it. And the notion is he doesn't realize what the correct price is. If we know, if, if, if both parties have perfect knowledge and know the correct price and choose, and choose to enter into the deal anyway, that's acceptable. They're allowed to do that. So, so uh, enough fundamentally is because, the, is, is, is because there's an assumption that the party doesn't know the, the correct price. It's, it's more complicated than that, but that's the basic idea. So enough basically means charging overcharging above the market price or underpaying below the market price where the other party doesn't realize that he is not, uh, that, that the price is not correct. That is the Isser Darais of Ona. Now, Ona has two components. It has an Isser. You're not allowed to do it. It's a lav. It's, it's, a, two, it's a lav in the, among the Tariq Mitzvahs. There's also a remedy. There are also remedies. Much of the Gemara about is the discussion about Matia concerns the remedies. What happens if you commit Ona? So that, there's a, uh, there's a complicated framework established by Chazal, not based on Psukim. The Psukim don't say anything about a remedy, and they don't make any of the following distinctions that we're going to make. But Chazal set up a, Chazal established a three-tier system. There are three categories. There, there is a level called Shtus, a sixth of the price, or a fifth if you count Chomesh Melavar, 20% of the, if you overcharge, asking 20% more than the fair price, which is, which is the, the overcharging is now a sixth of the total. So if the price, fair price is 100 and you charge 120, that's, uh, actually that's a discussion of the Gemara, Shtus Mekach or Shtus Mos, whether the Shtus is calculated in terms of the, in terms of the items, uh, the, the price, or in terms of the money actually paid, that's all discussion of the Gemara. But basically, a sixth or a fifth, depending how you calculate it. So there's less than a shtus. If the ono was less than that, it was closer to the actual price. If the ono is exactly a shtus, and if the ono is more than a shtus. Those are the three categories Chazal set up. Less than a shtus, the halacha is there's no remedy. We assume there's mechila. We assume there's mechila, kana, and there's no, there's no remedy. The, the, the aggrieved party, the seller who was underpaid or the buyer who was overcharged, has no further remedy, the, the sale cannot, he has no right to reverse the sale, and he has to swallow the loss. Exactly a shtus, if the error was exactly a shtus, we say, the sale cannot be reversed, but the injured party can demand a refund, the seller can demand that he pay the difference, if he underpaid, or the buyer can demand a refund of the overpayment. If it's more than a sixth, then the injured party has the right to reverse the whole sale. There's a discussion in the post whether the other party has the right to reverse the sale as well or not, or just the injured party. But the, those, those, are the three ru- those are the three rules of the remedy. Less than a shtus, there's no remedy. Exactly a shtus, the sale remains intact, but the injured party can demand an adjustment. Yosem shtus, the injured party has the right to reverse the sale. Now, less than a shtus, there's no remedy. The rush has a, a she'ela, uh, is it mutter lechatchila? If I'm a seller, I know the price is 100. I would like to sell at 105, less than a shtus. Do I have the right to do that lechatchila? The rush is mesupak. The rush is not sure. Lechatchila, we are machmer, the Shulchan Aruch Paskins l'chumra, that because, because it's not clear, and it's a shalav you should, 
you should, uh, the Rosh already says, to the, the Rosh is Tarachian, but Yerei Shemayim, Yotzi Deshneim, person who has fear of God should be machmer and not commit, oh no, even less than a shos, even though there won't be a remedy, he should be choshish, it's still asur l'chatchila. Okay. That's the, that, that, that's the discussion of the, that's the discussion of the remedy of Ona. So, but, but the Isser, the Isser is independent. The Isser definitely applies to Yosem, Yishtos, and Shtus, where Mahmoud applies even less than Shtus. There are other cases also where the Gemara says certain types of transactions are not subject to Ona, and many posts can say that means they don't have the remedies of Ona, but they still have the prohibition. For example, the Gemara says that Avadim, Shtaras, and Karkos, real estate, is not subject to Ona, but the Ramban says, some posts can say, that means the remedy of reversing the sale doesn't apply, but the Isser still applies. There's a discussion about non-Jews. The Gemara says the, the law of Ona, like Ribis, like certain, stealing outright is Osir from a non-Jew as well. But things like Ribis and, and Ona don't apply to non-Jews. But there's a question, does that mean the remedy of Ona, or does that mean even the Isser? Some posts can say to deliberately mislead him about the price is still Osir. So the, we, we, have to, we have to distinguish between the Isser of Ona and the remedy. I'll call upon him, the, the Lav of Ona, the Isser is one of the Tarek Mitzvahs, and Chazal set up a system, Chazal t- taught us a system in terms of remedies that depends whether it is a less than a Shtus or a Shtus or more than a Shtus. One might think that exactly a Shtus is virtually inconceivable, when, when will it ever be exactly a Shtus, but there is a discussion in the post where the Gemara has Shtus Mekach and Shtus Mos, we, there are two ways to calculate shtus. If you have 100, is, is a shtus uh, 16 or is a shtus 20? So we're machmer for both. We, we, we say that either one has a din, has a din of, uh, of a shtus. And there is a shita, there is one shita, I believe, that anywhere, in the, anywhere between them is also considered a shtus. So according to that opinion, less than 116, you shouldn't do it, but with the evidence, there's no remedy. Anywhere between 16 and two-thirds and... Uh, 16 and, uh, um, 16, 16 and two-thirds and, and, and 20 is inclusive is Kana and Machzir Ona. So that range over there is Kana and Machzir Ona. And, uh, and um, more than 120 is going to be Bittel Mekach that the injured party can, that the injured party can, uh, more than 20, more than 20 is uh, the injured party can, can reverse the sale. So for the, the remainder of our talk, I want to discuss the, the basic definition. How do we calculate or not? Or not, or not in terms of shtus or more than a shtus? How do we calculate or not? Or not in terms of what? I, I gave the basic answer before. Or not is not defined in terms of any dictated uh, prophetic price. Or not is defined become of a chateau. It's defined based on the currently prevailing market price. But what does that mean? How do we define the currently prevailing market price? In a case where every store is selling at a, at a particular price and you want to sell above that, okay, so that's oh no. But certainly the way things work today, that's not how it works. There are very, very few items that are universally sold at one price, certainly not in a free market economy like the U.S. Maybe, in, maybe products that are subsidized or regulated are going to have set prices. The, 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 I always say that the, the only thing... 
Wolf of Ray was 20 copics. <laughs> 10 years when it was 30 years ago, the same term, 20 copics. Okay, so in, in Soviet Union, in a command economy, then a loaf of bread is 10 copics, 20 copics for years at a time. That's the price. The truth is, even in, in just merely socialist countries, when I was in Israel, the government heavily subsidized certain staples, breads and milk, and there was pretty much a standard price for that as well. That uh, There were rules for what they could charge. And the Israeli Post can talk about this, what they call mozarim subsadim, subsidized products. They talk about that. But in the U.S., there's virtually nothing that has a standard price. The one example I, I often give is maybe postage stamps. Virtually everywhere except Costco, which gives you a few cents off, I think. Virtually anywhere you go, postage stamps are going to be uh, whatever the current uh, post office currently sets the price. But uh, short of that, there is virtually uh, nothing that has a, a, a clear price. There are, I guess, there are, there are items that are, there, there are, there are assets that are sold on exchanges. So if a stock is listed on the New York, on the, on the New York uh, Stock Exchange, it pretty much has one price. It has a bid and an ask price, so it's slightly different, but it pretty much has one price, and assuming the share is traded on one market. But then again, then you're buying in that market, and you're going to get the going price, typically. But, uh, but in general, normal, tangible assets that are bought and sold in stores rarely have one exact price. So the question is, how do we define or not what price is legitimate, what price is not legitimate? This is a very, very murky question. There, there's, some, there's some possible discussion of this in classic postkim. It may or may not be relevant to the current situation. There's some discussion of this in modern postkim, and I'm just gonna, uh, I'm just gonna concede up front. There is no set. There is no, in my view, wholly satisfactory explanation uh, sheet of what exactly the definition is. All the all the various shitas either either suffer from vagueness and uh, difficult to define rules, or they suffer from seemingly absurd and uh, untenable uh, untenable implications. But we'll consider the we'll, 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 for the rest of the share. We'll try to consider what uh, what the postmen have said in this area, and, and we'll try to see what the issues are. So the discussion begins with a machlokas between the early Akronim, the Beis Yosef, the Darke Moshe, the Shach, and the Bach. They discuss a situation called something that does not have a Sharia Dua, something that does not have a, a known set price. Not clear exactly what that means, but they discuss certain commodities, milk even, or wool, things that don't have, for some reason, that they, they don't have a clear, well-defined price. What, how do we treat that with respect to Ona? So the Beis Yosef says, Chalav and Giza, milk and sheared wool, don't have it. Sheinlem Sharia Dua, they don't have a set price. Every deal is negotiated independently. There's no set price. Less bay or not. Not subject to or not at all. The law of or not does not apply to items that have no shar. Dark Emotion disagrees. Dark Emotion says that Zeino, Efshul Shomo, Mahibok Day or not. I mean, it doesn't have an exact price. We can still somehow, he doesn't tell you how, we can still somehow calculate. Does, again, he, he leaves, he leaves uh, up in the air. How do you calculate? There's no Sharia Dua. How is the calculation done? He's a little vague about that, but he says, no, even something that has no Sharia Dua, it is still possible to assess whether or no was committed or not, and therefore he disagrees with the position of the Beis Yosef. Bach and the Shach as well agree with Dark Moshe, disagree with Beis Yosef. Bach says, Vadai, Afbedvarim, Sheinlem, Sharia Dua, they are subject to Ona as well. Upashadu, again, doesn't explain how you calculate, but he says, even Dover Shainlem Sharia Dua, 
are subject to Ona. Shach paskins that way as well, in brief. Even if something does not have a known and uh, determined price, still subject to Ona. So we have a, an early machlokas among the early acronym from four or five hundred years ago as to whether something that has no Sharia Dua has Ona or not. Beisiosi says it does not. Other acronyms say it does, although they don't really give you a clear mechanism for calculating or not when the shower is not Yadua. Also, they don't really explain what they mean by the shower is not Yadua. Moving to the later acronym, there's a tshuva in the, in the Heshev Moshe. The Heshev Moshe is Moshe Teitelbaum. There are several, uh, se- several Hasidic masters who were named for Moshe Teitelbaum. The... The, one of them was the, the Satmar Rebbe, but, but the Satmar Rebbe who passed away in uh, Tavshin Samachvav in 2006, we are referring to the early, the earlier Moshe Teitelbaum. He was, uh, he was uh, an ancestor of the, of the Satmar dynasty. He wrote a number of svarim. He's often referred to in Hasidic circles as the Yismach Moshe after his Sefer of Drush and Hasidus, but he... But he was, uh, he was one of the early prominent Hasidim. But in my circles, he is famous as a posik. He was also a, one of the great poskim of his time. And his halachic work was called Heshev Moshe. That's a sefer I'm familiar with, his halachic work. Heshev Moshe was a classic tshuva sefer from two centuries ago. And the, in the Heshev Moshe, he deals, he, he's one of the first to deal with uh, a question of how, how Ona applies to modern goods, which don't have clear, well-defined prices. He was corresponding with another rabbi. This other rabbi had, the other rabbi was Yisrael Ozer, Rabbi Yisrael Ozer Wolf, me, Madi. This rabbi, this Rabbi Yisrael Ozer Wolf, said, I'm not sure, he, 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 he deferred to the Haitian Moshe, he refers to the Haitian Moshe as Kvoda Doni Hagon, but he was a, you know, a lesser figure at that time, but he, um, he, he, he told the Haitian Moshe, I'm really not sure if Ona applies at all to sales of wine. He used to, I think, on the wholesale level, but, it, but he says he's not sure if Ona applies to wine sales. Why, why shouldn't it? He says, because that's the, that's the custom of merchants, of, of, of wine merchants in, in Medina Zoo, in our country. What, sometimes the wine is purchased at high prices, sometimes the same exact wine at the same time is purchased cheaply. Everything depends on individual terms negotiated between sellers and buyers. It's a little bit like real estate. You, you, the market goes up, the market goes down, but if I ask you how much is a house worth, you can artificially get an appraisal, but the actual price the house will be sold at, it all depends. It all depends on what offers come in and what the seller accepts. And you, you can approximate, uh, it'll likely be sold around some, some, some number, but there's no such thing as, you can't tell me with any kind of uh, deterministic confidence, this is what the house is worth. There are formulas that give you numbers for legal and financial purposes, but realistically, how much, what is the house going to sell for? No one really knows. So that, that was kind of what he was arguing, Rabbi Yisrael Wolf was arguing for wine. Wine is not sold at standard prices. Each sale individually is the product of negotiation, on the wholesale level at least, I assume retail was more standardized, but on the wholesale level, each sale was negotiated independently between seller and buyer. And furthermore, he said, may olam lo nishma b'minyasenu litzon and the minute as well, I've never heard, he said, anybody ever make a claim of Ona, and he meant that that supported his contention that because there's no fixed price, there's no Ona. He sounds like he was taking a position similar to the Beis Yosef, that because there's no Sharia Dua, 
because there's uh, there's no sh- he didn't he didn't he doesn't refer to the Beis Yosef. He doesn't use exactly the same language, but he was making an argument that sounds similar to that of the Beis Yosef. That because there's no standard price, there's no no at all. The Haitian Moshe himself was not impressed. Rav Teitelbaum not at all impressed by this line of reasoning. He says, "You think that there's no no on sales of wine? The Dover Shein Lo Shachar. That's out of the question. That's completely incorrect." He says. You argued that some buy it at higher prices and some buy it at lower prices. So what, he says. Of course you have to establish this or not. He says, how do you establish that? He said, we ask the opinion of the experts, the merchants, and to, to tell us that it was worth, uh, they tell us how much it was worth at that time. And anyone who deviates from that price, what's called deviation? Who sells pachus of biyosher miderech rov Obviously different wines command different prices. For anyone who diverges from the price being charged or the price being paid by most merchants, have you know, I'm happy to share or not. That's or not. So, uh, so the problem is, what does that mean? Let, let's say there are 10 merchants who are selling prices in a range of between uh, 98 and 105. So the lowest is 98, and then there's 99, and there's 3 for 100, and then there's 103, 104, and 105. So most of them are selling for less than 103. Does that mean that the ones who sell 104, 105 are guilty of Arnaud? They, they, they simply pick the lowest six and say that anyone above those, above those is Arnaud, and vice versa as well. The, the upper six are, most of them sell for above 98, and the ones who sold below 98 underpaid. What does that mean, Rove? Do you look at Rove who sell at an exact price? So that, that if Rove, you look at the mode average, that, that, that if most sell at an exact number, then anyone who deviates from that is, uh, is, uh, is Arnaud? That, that really means that, 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 that there are always going to be people being over or not. This, this seems very, very difficult to know what this means in practice. This is the standard that he uses, that, 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 that deviating from rov hasokrum is or not. But in practice, again, it's hard to know what that means. And again, he, he, he mentions the notion of rov, but it's very difficult to know how that applies in practice. Now, Haitian Moshe goes on. He says that the, the Shoel, Rav, Rav uh, Yisrael Ozer Volt, Yisrael Ozer Volt, mentioned Lafia Shov Azman. It fluctuates all the time, like, uh, like, 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 modern, like modern markets do. The, the stock market, commodities markets, you, know, you can look at a chart for the day. It zigzags up and down all day, certainly over, t- over longer periods of time. Says Haitian Moshe, so what? Yeah, I know it fluctuates. Yeah, you have, to, you have to get historical price data for that point. He said, he said, you say you never heard of a case of Arnaud and wine. From when I came to this area, he says, I had many Dine Torah that dealt with uh, the, here in the United States. We don't have as many Dine Torah as they used to, but you read the Achronim, they say they had Dine Torah all the time. The Arbanim were busy with them adjudicating disputes for merchants. All the time. On this particular type of case, oh, no, how many Dini Torah do you have about wine sales? All the time, he says. Kama mishpatim lefanai. That dealt with her. No, on the contrary, he says. You say you never heard of a Dini Torah? I know. I have cases all the time. I never heard of a case. He said, I, never, I never had someone who, 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 got out, who went up and claimed that there's no Ona on wine. No one ever even claimed such a thing to me, he says. I have Dini Torah all the time. No one ever said there's no Ona. So you're completely wrong, he says. There is Ona. And, of course, we look at historical data, and, of course, if the price varies, that will affect the Ona. Ona, he says, we look at Rov Sochrim, and uh, that's how we determine Ona. Again, what that means we look at Rov Sochrim is not very clear. The, we, we, find a very similar, we find a very similar standard of using Rov a century later in the Chuvas Imre Yosher of Rameir Arak about a century ago. 
He was talking about a case of liquor, Yainzruf. Someone bought 30 liquor. Reuven bought 30, 30, 30 liter of liquor from Shimon. And well, what happened was, this is, this is a, an interesting case with a twist. What happened was, the price underwent a, a major jump around the time of the sale, not just because of the ordinary market force of supply and demand. What happened was, there was a new tax regime that was going into place that increased the, doubled virtually the, the tax rates that were being assessed on liquor. Apparently, apparently uh, the sellers were paying the taxes, the, the producers or the sellers were paying the taxes, so the price went up. No seller, no, no, dis- no distiller, no, no, no liquor producer could afford to sell at the, at the, at the old prices because he, he now had a new major cost of paying. The, so the, the, the taxes were being passed along to the buyers. So the, the, the sellers weren't going to eat these taxes. So because the, the government drastically raised the taxes, so the price, the price on, the, on the wholesale level apparently, also maybe the retail level as well, drastically went up. And Shimon told Ruvain, I agreed to this price. I hadn't realized that the price that the tax rate was going up. And therefore and therefore I I want to renegotiate the terms of the sale because because the taxes had gone up. Now if the taxes go up after the sale, that we generally say is not grounds for reversing of the sale. If circumstances change, the personal circumstances, market circumstances change after the, the sale is uh, is executed. That's not ground for reversing a sale. What happened was, in this case, the, the law had been passed, had been, had been issued before the sale had gone into effect, but they, not everyone knew about it. It was still, you know, they didn't have Twitter, they didn't have all the, all the, the market intelligence. So not everyone knew about it, so some sellers had already raised the price because they knew that the new tax law was going into effect. Some sellers hadn't. So Shimon apparently was one of those sellers who hadn't yet known about the new tax rate, so he, he agreed to the old price. And now he was arguing, since at the time of the sale, there was a, the law didn't actually take effect yet, but, the, but, but he was going to have to pay the tax when it did take effect. So he, said the, so he said, Shimon said it was clear nobody would have entered into a deal on the old terms in light of the new law, and therefore it's a form of ona, and therefore he wanted to renegotiate the terms of the sale. So says the Yosha, what's the halacha? So it's a, he has a complicated shuva dealing with other aspects of the case as well. But regarding, for our purposes, this claim of Ona, he says, if most sellers already knew about the new rules, and therefore most sellers were raising their prices, and therefore Shimon was one of the few sellers who was uh, behind on the news, and he was still selling at the old price, but most sellers had already raised the prices, in that case, he says, Shimon is correct, he can, cl- he can claim Ona, because... Most sellers were selling for the higher price, so he he so Ruvain underpaid. If, however, most sellers hadn't found out about the new rules yet, so most sellers were still selling on the old price, then there's no no, because even though the new law had already had already been issued, if it wasn't widely known, the markets hadn't yet priced it in. Most sellers are still selling at the old price. We apply the rule I mentioned earlier: Ona is determined by current market prices. Current market prices are still low, so Shimon cannot be said to have been underpaid. So the Imriyosher, similar to the Haitian Moshe, in his case, says that we that, that we follow Rov, that, that that if Rove of the if Rove of the sellers are selling at a higher price than the seller who sold it, who, who didn't know and sold at a lower price and claim Ona, but if most of the sellers are selling at the low price, then the seller has no claim for Ona. In the Mariyosha's case, it's, 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 it's much easier to understand why we follow Rove, because the Rove essentially is following the correct price. The Rove is following a very specific piece of market news, 
So if if the rove knows the news, that just that establishes a new price, and all the, and all those who are who are paying and selling at the old price before the news. That's or no. That, that, that's relatively easy to understand. That's not a case where the market naturally has multiple prices based on different market conditions. Different, different sellers have their own business models. This is a case where, where there's a kind of a discontinuous, discrete jump in the price because of a concrete change in market conditions. Some of them knew about it and some don't. Imre Yosher says we follow the rove. So that, that's much easier to understand why we would follow rove and to apply the standard of rove. But again, the Heisham Moshe seems to apply the standard of rove even in a case where, where the, there's no... There's no disparity of information. It's just a question of different buyers and sellers negotiate different prices. Even there, he says you follow Rove. And that's, as we said, that's a little hard to understand how we define the Rove. Why, what, do we really, really follow the Rove? Do we say that everyone who went above, the, above, the, above most, most sellers is or not? That's not so clear. In the Erech Shai, Roshlomo Yudha Tabak, a little bit earlier than the Mariyosha, also one of the, one of the outstanding postkim, particularly in Choshen Mishpat of 150 years ago, Erech Shai has a small piece. He says he was asked to Shaila. And Erech Shai, I, 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 I always appreciate the Erech Shai very much in Choshen Mishpah because he's sharp, he's punchy, and he's, and he's acute. In this case, though, he's maybe a little bit too brief, and, and there is some debate about exactly what he means. Erech Shai writes, Nishalti. Does the Isra no only apply when there's a Shar Katsuv, a fixed price, that all the stores sell Beshava? But when each store sells every, every seller just charges whatever he thinks he can get from any particular buyer, then are you, uh, are you allowed to charge more if you know that down the street someone is offering it for less? Yeah, Srogim, yeah, something like that. Everyone is negotiating deals with, uh, with buyers. You know that, that, that down the store there's a place you can get it for less, but he's coming to you and you, and, and you want to ask for a higher price in the hope that you can get more. Is that or no or not? So the Erech Shai says we have the we have the shach that that we have machlokas shach Beis Yosef against other chum. Beis Yosef said when there's no shari yadua, then there is no ona. But the shach and other poskim disagree. The shach and other poskim say darkim Moshe Bach and shach say there is ona even when the price is, is not there's no well defined price. Says the Erech Shai he concludes he he sides with that view and he concludes ba'ona ein lachalik the kol sheyadad the efshlik akenaway till acher b'pachus. The Rakshai doesn't say rope. The Rakshai has a somewhat different standard. He says, any seller who knows who's aware that the item is available for less from other vendors, that is or not. You're, you're charging him a price where he could actually do better somewhere else, and that is or not. The Rakshai, taken at face value, is an incredible chumrah. It's incredibly hard to know what to do with this. The Rakshai seems to be saying, anytime you have five stores selling at five different prices, the four higher ones are all being over or not. The, the, the cheapest price is the, is the best deal for the... Today we have Amazon. You go to Amazon, they tell you $109.52. This item is also available for other sellers who may not offer prime free shipping and so on. And then they list you all other prices that are available. So you can decide. You can decide either just go with the cheapest price or a store that you trust or shipping or whatever it is. And, uh, and that's what you do. But the, the Arakshai tells you that any time a seller knows that the, the item is available from other sellers for less, he's guilty of ona. If we take that at face value, again, that's an incredibly uh, constricting thing to say, that no seller is allowed to sell any, at any, at, for, for anything more than other sellers sell, which is a race to the bottom. Anytime one seller declares a price, nobody else is allowed to charge more than it. Now, we should note that the, the postcom do say that different stores are considered to be operating in... Uh, 
in different tracks, in different, in, in, in different uh, contexts. So, so a, a, 20, a 24-hour uh, convenience store is allowed to have a different price than Costco. It's a whole different shopping experience. It's a whole different service. I'm, I'm charging more. My premium is availability, convenience, and Costco's charging less because you buy in bulk and because it's, uh, it's, it's one big warehouse. You make a big trip. You go there, membership, and so on. So th- that, I think, posts can generally agree that, that the, the convenience store is not guilty of, oh, no, or if you have a vendor, a uh, hot dog cart at a beach or something, and they're selling soda, cold sodas, where there is no supermarket uh, within 500 feet. So, again, that you, you, it's a different location, a different market, a different, a different experience. That post can generally say is, uh, is, is not going to be, oh, no, according to anybody. That we, we, we don't compare stores who are in different locations. Macomb of Ashaito, they have to be in the same place, but also the same experience, the same type of store, shopping experience, service, and so on. That's different. But in a, in a case where the market is more or less the same, they're all online merchants, they're all selling to you and shipping for the same price or for free, then Eric Shai is telling us that the store, he seems to be saying, that's, that since we pass him like the Shach, he says, since, since we go like the Shach, that even a Dover She'en Lo Shari Yadua is subject to Ona, how do we define the Ona? So unlike the Moshe and the Mariosher who talk about a standard of Rov, the, the Eric Shai says anyone who is selling for more than any other vendor is guilty of Ona. I always wonder about this. The, my particular, uh, what always baffles me, is with banks, savings accounts at banks. So the big banks, the big old-fashioned banks, places like Chase and Bank of America, offer you uh, tiny amounts of interest, you know, fractions of a percent. I don't know what they're currently offering, but you know, for years they used to offer uh, you know, a hundredth as much as you can make for, uh, you know, for, for the better banks, the banks that offer competitive rates. So the, you know, there, there's the official Fed funds rate, the interbank rates, and then the, the best savings accounts would charge you something close to that, half a percent less than that you know, for the service of being a bank and making it accessible to you. So right now, you know, they're, 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 the, the good banks are commonly, uh, the, 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 the actual money market rates are somewhere in four-something percent, and the, 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 the better, you know, consumer-friendlier banks are offering uh, three, three and three-quarters or something. You can get a little better with, if you're willing to chase rates around. But some of the big banks are still offering a fraction of a percent. And what is that? I mean, that, that is, is that simply oh, no, that they're offering you uh, a, a tenth, a twentieth, a hundredth of what you can make somewhere else? Or do you say, you know, that it's a relationship. If, if, if Chase has a zillion ATMs and they have bankers on the phone, you can, you can, you can call. They have a deep customer service and experience and 16 other products that are tied together. Maybe you're paying for all that. You know, so I don't, maybe they're, you're, maybe they're, they're charging for all that. So I don't know. But I always felt like the, 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 unlike, let's say, different microwave models, that are, this is the 109C and that's the 109F, you know, savings accounts, it's the same money. You give them the same cash and they pay you the same interest. The only real differentiating thing is the, they're all FDIC insured. The, the, only, the, the only differentiating thing is the interest rate, basically, and they're charging wildly different interest rates. That's a case where I'm kind of sympathetic to the Eric Shai. I'm for a bank to tell you that we're going to charge you 3%, we're going to give you 3% less than other banks. Like, where, like what is that even? But, uh, all right. But the, I'll call upon him, this is what the Eric Shai says, that the this is what the Eric Shai says, that any, any seller who knows that his item is available, that his good is available from, a, from another seller for less, is guilty of Ona, which is, again, an incredible chumrah, if you really take that at face value. Other posts can struggle as well to try to define, uh, try to define what, uh, what, uh, what we do when we have items that have multiple sellers charging multiple prices. So he says, so the Pisgah Choshen, Rav Yaakov Blau, one of the greatest experts on Choshen Mishpat in the 20th century, 
he says uh, he actually, I believe, I, I believe worked as a uh, worked in the in, in the banking industry before he became a posake and a full time posake and one of the greatest authors and posthum of the twentieth century. He actually knew of what he spoke, but uh, but he says that he says he says. They, that he brings, you know, he brings the makloks that poskim about davrish ain't shayadu, and he says that uh, many poskim say there's no onah. Um, we only mentioned the Beis Yosef, and some poskim say the ikur is like the the shach, but the the the, the, the says rov poskim say that uh, that that there's no onah. And Misvari says, how do you calculate onah? Then how do you calculate shdos if, if there is no well-defined price? The whole concept of onah is hard to apply. He says, but kasha, it's difficult to say what would be nichlal in that. I, mean, I thought it's pretty easy to say what's nichla on that. Pretty much anything is nichla on that. But he says he's not sure what, what's included in this category of Davershain Lashar. Let's see, he says clothing or electrical appliances. He says there can be a large difference in the price between one store and another. Is that called Ain Lashar Yadua? The fact that a microwave will be $40 in one store and $60 in another store and $100 in the third store? Imre Yosher, maybe you follow Rove, he says. He says, but uh, he says that. He says, he doesn't think that we should just say that we look at the highest and lowest price. Anything above the highest price or below the lowest price is onah. I'm not sure what that means. I mean, I mean, I mean how am I guilty of onah? I'm the highest price now. If you tell me to look at the highest price and the lowest price and say that everything beyond that is onah, there should never be onah. I'm just the new highest price. You're like, where does that uh, sound? The highest price is always onah. Right. I mean, so maybe maybe the, 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 the highest seller is kind of like the opposite of the Erekshah. The Erekshah says anything above the lowest price is onah. Maybe we'll say the highest price is always on. Everyone up to the highest price is not on. I don't know. Yep. He says, but uh, if that's the rule, that we just look at the, the, the higher and lower prices of the range, then what's the, what's the case of Dabrashain Lashar Yadua? Then oh, we can always just look at the highest. It's always, always the highest and the lowest price. So he says, maybe. Well, right, except like the postage stamps where everything, where, 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 where everything is subsidized, where everything is selling at the same price. Yep. So he says, he says, if the difference is, uh, is not that great, again, everything is very tentative here, but he says, maybe we follow the Shara Benoni, the median price of some sort, that uh, when the post can say that when it's Ain Loshayadua, there's Arna, maybe we mean that the median prices are not based on that. Again, how do you define the median? Is it a weighted average? Is it, is it simply the, the absolute median? Is it based on is it some kind of other calculation? Pesachoshin is not really sure. He doesn't really understand, and, and he doesn't really know. He's not 100% sure. In modern products where the prices vary, is that called Dover Shein Loshar Yadua? How do you calculate or not? Do you, do you look at the do you look at the range? Do you look at the highest and lowest prices, and everything in there in between them is considered normal? Do you do you look at the, the median price? He's not really sure. A dayan tarachin baza. Rav Chaim Cohen. Rav Chaim Cohen is a uh, Chaim Cohen is a brilliant Chosh uh, Mishpat thinker, not as publicly known as he might be, but he is a uh, very incisive and very you know, creative and uh, perceptive thinker on Chosh Mishpat, a mentor of mine. He, he has been writing and saying for years, he has a, a unique sheet of his own, which he thinks is Pashut and is logically compelling. I don't fully understand it, but uh, his position is that we have to distinguish between prices that are established normally based on the rules of supply and demand, even though supply and demand, what he keeps calling gourmet habikush vehatza, the, the, the forces of bikush uh, demand and hatza is supply. He says any price that is determined by the normal and healthy operation of supply and demand, and by their very nature, he says, those are not deterministic forces, the price, they, they, they give rise to a range of prices, anything that emerges naturally and correctly from the forces of supply and demand 
is by definition not ono. Ono is defined, he says, as a price which is... So you, you make the range. You make the range of what he considers the normal supply and demand prices. And anything that's outside that range is a shallow ono. More than, more than a sixth, less than a sixth, but the... That he, he believes, he, he insists, he maintains that we can divide all prices into two categories, those into two buckets, those that are somehow the product of normal forces of supply and demand, and those that are somehow arbitrary and extortionate and that are, do not represent the legitimate operation of supply and demand. And therefore, he says, any price that falls within the normal range of supply and demand is considered legitimate and not on a no matter how high above it is the lowest price in that range, any price which is outside that range is or not, either less than a shtus, or more, which is still asul more than a shtus. That's his basic idea. The obvious question is, how do we define, when we look at a market, how do we define which prices are considered the normal and correct and healthy operation of supply and demand, and which prices are considered taking advantage and uh, mispricing? So uh, this, is, this is the part I never really understood. I think you'd be very disappointed in me for not understanding what he thinks is, uh, is, is, is a clear and compelling shita, but I have to admit, I was never able to fully understand his position. He writes, In the free market, when the prices vary, is there or not? He says, that's the Arakshai. The Arakshai says when prices vary, anything above the lowest price is, is or not. But he says, first of all, that's impossible. Then how can anybody price anything? Everyone has to, it's a, it's a race to the bottom. As soon as you find a single vent, especially today with price, uh, with, with especially today with price comparison sites and so on, uh, anything, it's, it's, it's trivial to find out if there's anybody lower than you. Anyone has to immediately lower their price to the lowest price or be guilty of or no. And he has a whole different explanation of the shock on the base. Yeah, the, whole, the, the whole question of Dover Shein Shah Yadua and the early acronym, he explains it's talking about something else entirely. And therefore, his conclusion is, he says, that when the, he says, that, that can't be what the Erech Shai means. If, if it is, it's just not correct, he says. That, that, that's not Mastavra, that's what the Erech Shai means. He says that, that, that anything is, uh, he says, maybe he says the Erech Shai is talking about, again, prices that are a market, the market that's not selling based on supply and demand. What's an example of not selling based on supply and demand? Every merchant charges whatever he can get, particularly if he sees that the buyer is naive and he can take advantage of him. Uh, he knows that this price is not really tenable, that in a case of better information and a, a more efficiently operating market, the economists talk a lot about efficient markets and non-efficient markets and how efficient the markets are. But somehow, Rev Cohen says, a price that's just uh, taking advantage and not sustainable, that's an example of a price that could be, oh no, maybe that's what Eric Shai is talking about. It still had nothing to do with the shach, he says, but it's certainly not correct that only the lowest price in the market is, uh, is, 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 is legitimate. Rather, he says that the, any price that is a legitimate supply and demand determined established price is, is, uh, is, the, is legitimate, and prices that are somehow not considered to, be, to have arisen based on a legit, the legitimate operation of supply and demand those are the prices of, those are the prices uh, that are, that are or no. Brings the Heish of Moshe, and he says, Kavanosanera, what does the Heish of Moshe mean when he says Rov Sokrim? He says, even if Rov Sokrim don't sell for exactly the same price, but as long as, as long as the, the experts who understand the market can say, this is what the market, this is what the merchandise is worth based on supply and demand, all those prices again are not or no. 
but someone who sells at a price that most sochrim would not sell at that price because that's not, they don't consider that the real worth of the price. Again, Halakha doesn't really recognize the notion of an objective worth. So again, he's making this very nebulous, in, in my understanding, very not well-defined notion of a legitimate price based on supply and demand and a not legitimate price. That's what Haitian motion means as well. He brings the Pisgachoshen, who says that, again, he says, the mixing in Dabrashen Shein Shayadua is a category error. Dabrashen Shayadua is something else. Modern markets are not called Einlo Shayadua. That's called the Shayadua. The Shayadua is the entire range of prices that arise based on the legitimate operation of supply and demand. And all this is Pashut to Mavur Medivriaposkim. And that is the position of Rav Cohen. Um, the a, a contemporary author, Rabbi Yar Hoffman, quotes Rabbi Cohen, says he spoke to Rabbi Cohen himself about it also in conversation. The true market price is what is determined by supply and demand and what the market will tolerate. Even if there's a minority of people that won't look at the price, people who you know, just don't care, can't be bothered, that, the, he says, that he says is still considered a valid market price. Um, he said Rav Cohen gave him an example in your example, where three stores price an item at $20 a pound and the fourth store price at $30 a pound, there would still be buyers. Nobody would buy at 50, so 50 is on a... What that means, I mean, nobody would buy at 30 if, uh, if other stores have 20, unless the price is so insignificant or, the, or they have a relationship. I, again, I'm not sure what, what this distinction is, but this is the, this is the opinion of Kaim Cohen. So the bottom line is that, the, the bottom line is that we don't... Um, that that that, that 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 the bottom line is that we uh, that we that it's very difficult to know what the consensus is. What is the workable and practical definition of Ona? Rabbi Hoffman writes that he seems to think that the Pesachoshin's view is the normative halachic view, and he says there would be an obligation upon the store managers to determine the upper price. Again, working with this thing that you look at the upper and lower limits, uh, and above that is Ona. Then he says store managers have to look at the upper pricing limits. Again, that that kind of. Uh, the question has to be asked, but who, uh, maybe I'm the upper, maybe I'm the highest price. Like, is he saying, like you said, the, the, highest, the highest one is automatically illegitimate, and then, and then he has to drop out of the market, then the next guy is the highest, and, you know, Ayla herself. If the highest one keeps uh, raising his price, lowering his price to the next highest, then, then again, there's nobody, there's nobody left but the lowest price. Rabbi Hoffman says, even what he thinks the Pesachoshin is saying, this would seem to place an extraordinary strain upon the managers and owners of stores and supermarkets that sell numerous items, just the tircha of doing all this calculating and checking, yet many postkim that this author consulted with are of the opinion it should be done. So I'm not sure what he thinks the postkim are saying, that, that all managers should make sure that they're not above the highest price of all the other stores. Again, where do you draw the line? I don't know. The bottom line is, again, I apologize for not having more of a coherent explanation, We've been working on this for many years. I still don't know what is the workable and reasonable definition of Ona. Everyone agrees if you take advantage of someone who's ignorant to charge a price which is wildly out of line, that's Ona. But in practice, if you, just, if you just are a seller who charges higher prices, and somehow the way the world works, people still go to you for whatever reason. Again, if there's a good reason, because, you, because they trust you, you have a, you're easier to deal with, you have a better return policy, that's posh there's no Ona. But assuming there's nothing better about you, just for some reason people are paying higher prices at your store instead of somewhere else, when is that legitimate and when is not? This is something which is which seems to be a, a major question because it's a question of Mrs. Derisa, but it's very unclear. It's very hard to define what exactly is considered an inappropriately high price and what is considered a legitimate price within the range of within within the range of prices in this market.